Hey everybody, my name is Natalie Robertello and I am a sports dietitian, owner of B-Fueled Sports Nutrition and avid endurance athlete. I started this podcast because I wanna talk all things sports nutrition, and practical nutrition that you can incorporate into your everyday life. You are a human first and an athlete second. I can't wait to talk all of the nuance of nutrition with you. So buckle up and let's get started. Hey everybody, we are back with episode four and today's topic is going to be intuitive eating for athletes. Is it right for athletes? And this this might be a two-parter. I'm not really sure yet. We're going to see where we go with things and take it from there. But I'm going to get right into it today. Um, hopefully, I usually have my sidekick Bowie here. And he's not in the room, which means he might be pounding his head under the door in a second to get in here. So if you hear a thump in the background, that's probably Bauer. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. So intuitive eating. I'm. This is a topic that comes up a lot. And I, I know I say that often, but honestly, I try to bring you guys a lot of topics that come up with clients because these are the most asked questions. And this is one that tends to confuse people because when people mention intuitive eating, they talk about it and seemingly try to follow it like it's a diet, like it's a diet we're following. And the thing I want to be very, very clear about is that intuitive eating is not a diet to follow. It's rather a framework that you can use to further or help your relationship with food. Um, I don't love labels. I don't know if you guys know that about me, but I don't love labels. There are definitely, you know, theories and recommendations I can get behind, but you're never going to find me saying I am a specific uh, type of dish dietitian besides a sports dietitian. I'm not going to align myself necessarily with um, anything in particular because I think that there can be helpful recommendations, helpful guidelines from a lot of different styles of eating, if you will. And it's highly individualized. I, I really like to listen to what someone is struggling with and take it from there and see what works best for them. Honestly, I'm trying to kind of push someone or align someone into one specific way of eating. I don't think helps anybody. And yeah, that's the way I like to think about things. So intuitive eating are principles. They are guidelines. It is a framework. And this was developed by Evelyn Trebol and Elise Resch. I am probably butchering those names, but they are two dietitians that created this framework in 1995. And Evelyn on her website actually has a framework for the 10 principles of intuitive eating that I'm going to link in show notes, of course, but we are going to be using those today. I'll be referencing this throughout as we talk about each of these uh, principles of intuitive eating. And I'm going to kind of you know, explain my thoughts and theories on it and then kind of save some of my, um, my thoughts for the end. Like a lot of the like takeaways that I, I, um, want to summarize for you guys. So without further ado, a lot of times with intuitive eating, not only do we have to not think about it as it's not a diet, but generally speaking, people do have to have a bit of a nutrition framework or background to be able to kind of jive and vibe and understand this. Um, Generally, people aren't just kind of stumbling into intuitive eating uh, without having, and at least from what I've seen, any past, you know, poor relationship or poor history with food. It's more of a gentle nutrition approach or framework, if you will. So this is where most people tend to 
land with intuitive eating, but the challenge is always, if you have died in the past, of not making this um, rules by any means. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. So intuitive eating, the 10 principles. So the first one that comes up on this list is rejecting the diet mentality. So essentially this is meaning throwing out a lot of the diet, the diet rhetoric, the diet um, voices, things, things in your head, but not only just like in your head, the voices you're hearing in your head in terms of like how we feel about food, if it's good, if it's bad, but also just the surrounding diet culture around us. Things that are support, are promoting uh, weight loss at all costs. Uh, basically things that are also making you feel in some way bad about yourself when it comes to dieting. So if you feel a certain way around sugar, let's say, why are we feeling that way around sugar? A lot of times when I'm asking my clients this, we can bring it back to a specific diet plan they followed or a food rule that was uh, created or made up along the way, or maybe their mom or grandparent long time ago told them that they should be avoiding sugar and sugar has been a restricted thing for them or on their quote unquote bad food list. So rejecting the diet mentality is probably one of the hardest things for people to do because we are so inundated with it wherever we are. Social media is one of those hotbeds for uh, diet mentality and sometimes even other environments besides that. Sometimes friend groups can be a hotbed for that. Even maybe experiences around uh, family members could also be a problem for you. I've even heard clients share with me the environment on teams that they have been a part of, which is always really, really sad to hear when a coach is promoting a lot of uh, dieting advice, especially in the performance realm of things with exercise and training and performance. It's always a really, really sad thing to hear because this is a person generally most people are looking up to if they're an athlete on that team. So we have to think about where we're getting this information from, but also being able to put our finger on and identify like, oh, this is actually a diet, diety thought. This is diet mentality and working on continuously saying, this is it. I know how to spot it. And how can I A, reframe this, but also re reject it, right? Like think about other ways to, think of ways to support your body instead of ways to potentially harm your body. Now we move into the second principle of intuitive eating, and that is honor your hunger. I love this one. And this is another one that can be really tricky. I'm going to try to not say this about a lot of them, but this one can be really tricky. So honoring your hunger is when you're feeling hungry, you eat, <laughs> you eat. And I know it sounds so simple, but keeping your body fed is very important. And if you have been a person who has chronically died in the past or, um, you know, past history with disordered eating and eating disorder, it can feel really hard to trust those hunger cues. Or maybe you are a person who doesn't get hunger cues or doesn't know how to spot them. All three of those things are possible. I've had people share what seem like very common hunger cues, which would be things like uh, a dip in energy throughout the day, actually feeling hungry, their stomach growling, even down to feeling, um, having headaches throughout the day, um, things, things that we wouldn't necessarily expect for hunger. We can mistake those for. So 
really kind of tapping into what does it mean when I'm hungry? Like what signs does my body give me? And then actually trusting those things and honoring those things by eating food. And when we look at, I don't know if you've ever checked out a hunger scale before, but you can easily probably Google one, a hunger scale and see different levels of hunger and how we might feel when we're on different levels of the hunger scale. But a lot of times that just points to, like I said, you know, that that physical feeling of hunger and not other signs of hunger because we don't all get that stomach growling. Like I said, it could be headaches. It could be nausea we get. It could be we just get really tired and need to take a nap. It might not be outward signs of I'm hungry. So we need to be open to these other signs our body might be giving to us that we are hungry. And then last but not least, it's actually trusting it. I've seen a lot of people giving themselves what I call the lie detector test when they're hungry. They think, oh, I feel, why am I feeling so tired? Why am I feeling dizzy? I didn't get hungry at this time. So I didn't feel hungry at this time. So I didn't eat. So they're going through all of these different things of why, like why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, but they're never arriving at the conclusion that they could be hungry. So the next one, making peace with food. So what Evelyn has here on her website says, call the truth, stop the food fight, give yourself unconditional permission to eat. Yes. When we are, it's human nature guys. When we tell ourselves we can't have something, it's our immediate human nature to be like, I want the thing. <laughs> I shouldn't be having cookies at night, but I want cookies at night. It's going to make it a more powerful thing. It's going to make it more tempting to do. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting cookies at nighttime. But when we set up these walls or we set up this like group of foods that we absolutely could not have or we should not have, which some people like to call them, you know, bad foods, it leads to intense feelings of deprivation. And this could lead into feeling uncontrolled around food. For some people, this could even lead into not only cravings, but even binging. And then ultimately, when we lean into those cravings and potentially eat a large amount of it, we feel like we have given in, we feel like we have failed. And unfortunately, this leads to a lot of food shame and guilt. And this cycle continues. So making peace with food is very, very important. And you know, it pairs well with all of these other pieces of the framework. If we can start to reject the diet mentality and spot the diet mentality, we can make it a little bit easier for us to create some peace and create some um, comfort around food that food is, food's not the enemy. That's how we think about food and how we approach food a lot of times, that mindset around food that is problematic more than anything else. Going into challenging the food police, number four on here. So, you know, truthfully, I think that this goes a lot, this goes along with that rejecting the diet mentality, but essentially being able to, not only are we rejecting it, I guess this is different. We're not going to just reject the diet mentality, but at some point we want to really challenge the food police. So this, I, I like to think of is almost like a reframe. So if you're feeling, I'm going to go back to the sugar and cookies reference. If you're feeling that I want a cookie, but I can't have a cookie or I shouldn't have a cookie, ask yourself why, why can't you have that cookie? Why can't you have that sugar? 
and then with whatever response it gives to you, your your uh, body, your brain is giving to you, your thoughts are giving to you. I can't have it because X, Y, or Z. I want you to challenge that thought. Is this ultimately true? Is this a fact? What is another way I can think about this? So I want a cookie. Does that make me a bad person? No. What is a cookie? Well, it's energy. Yes, it has some sugar. It has some carbohydrates in it. But I also know that my my brain, my muscles, my body needs carbohydrates. So thinking about how to reframe some of these things is also very important too, and really leaving the reframes guilt-free. Guilt-free. It's going to be really hard for you to overcome a lot of that that uh, poor, it's going to be hard for you to overcome. This is what I'm trying to say, overcome the poor relationship with food. If you're unable to challenge the food police, if you're unable to challenge a lot of these thoughts that your brain is giving you, just because you think something does not mean it's true. I want you guys to remember that thoughts, thoughts are fleeting. Like thoughts do not mean they're true. They're not always helpful. It doesn't mean we always have to lean into them. They are just thoughts. They are just out there. We get to decide to assign meaning to them. So challenging that is very, very important and a very important piece in really repairing your relationship with food. Number five, my favorite and something that really in my journey of working on my relationship with food has been a game changer and honestly for a lot of other clients. So number five, discovering the satisfaction, discovering the satisfaction factor. That's really hard to say, guys. So satisfaction, what does that mean in the context of eating? So a lot of times when I ask clients, I'm like, how did that meal, was that meal filling? Filling is that feeling of, oh, I don't really like I'm, I'm full. I can stop eating now. I feel pretty comfortable where satisfaction is feeling full and comfortable, but also like, well, not to describe a word with a word, but satisfied. Like you don't, you're not necessarily looking for something else. You ate that meal and it felt good and it felt satisfied and the meal is complete. Now, oftentimes what I'll see people doing is they'll put together a meal that they believe to be healthy. So it might be something like in their list of good foods, or they'll even, even I'll see people meal plan and they'll put together foods on, on their meal planning for their dinners that are overall healthy and they eat till fullness, but at the end of the meal, it just didn't do it. It just wasn't the vibe. It just was not satisfying. And the thing is when we are not feeling satisfied most of the time with the foods that we're eating, we're going to be in search for other foods. And this is again, totally normal. If we're not satisfied, yeah, we're probably going to look for something else to fill that satisfaction. So having some pleasure and satisfaction with food is a good thing. I was having a conversation with a client around meal planning, eh, maybe about two months ago or so. And I started, when we started talking about it, I said, the first thing I want you to ask yourself when you're meal planning is what sounds good? <laughs> because if we start with what sounds good and then build the healthier, nutritious meal around it, that is going to be a really supportive meal because we're actually enjoying the foods that we're eating very important. That is the satisfaction factor that will help you feel a lot more in control around food. And that is really important. A lot less feelings of guilt and shame also are going to come up if you're actually enjoying the foods that you like to eat. And I know that sounds 
maybe a little bit wild to think like, oh, if I'm eating foods I like, it might make me feel more out of control. But on the contrary, it will not. We just have to, again, trust ourselves. We have to honor our hunger. We have to make peace with food. We have to challenge the food police. A lot of these things work together. Next is number six, feeling your fullness. So we need to be comfortable with feeling full. This one is a challenging one for people, again, especially if you have been under eating, if you've been chronically dieting, um, maybe again, disordered eating disorder in the past, feeling full is a absolutely normal process for us to feel. When we eat, our stomach is going to get full. But the amazing thing about our bodies is it has the ability to digest and absorb our nutrients. And that feeling of fullness is going to be temporary. Now, if you did take a second to look up that hunger scale, you're going to notice on that hunger scale, there's going to be different levels of hunger and fullness. There's going to be a very, very hungry. There's going to be a very, very full, two opposite ends of the spectrum. If you do eat to the point of past fullness, it is going to be very uncomfortable. And it is not uncommon that when maybe we are experimenting with intuitive eating or honestly just getting used to eating normally, that we would feel very, very full. But we have to trust that our body knows what to do with everything. And your body totally does know what to do with everything. That feeling is so temporary. I was just talking with a client the other day and uh, we've been working together, I'd say for about a year now. And she's just getting used to that feeling of fullness. In her food journal, she had put down, you know, I'm feeling really full right now, but I'm also gonna identify that this is a totally like normal thing and it's just temporary. And it was so wonderful to see that because she gets it. Like she has gone through that experience. She sat with those emotions and she's been able to process and reframe that this is not a problem that this is not that food is the enemy. It's not the problem. It's that I am nourished. My body just takes time to digest this. This is a totally normal thing. <laughs> so getting used to kind of listening to those sing those signals from your body that you're no longer hunger hungry is is a is definitely a bit of an art <laughs> uh, it's going to take some time if you're a person that eats really really quickly let's say you know you sit down and you eat food in five minutes or you're highly distracted while you're eating it's actually very difficult to feel your fullness cues and honestly, it's probably going to, for a lot of people, they get some digestive issues too. You know, if you're having a lot of stomach pain or bloating gas after meals, slow down those meal times, slow it down, chew your food and listen to those body signals that tell you when you are full and satisfied. The issue I take with some people when they talk about intuitive eating is it is a hunger and a fullness diet. And I don't, they don't say it in those words, but a lot of times I'll hear, I'm, I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full. And I'm going to wait until the end to really give my full thoughts on that. But we don't want to turn intuitive eating into a diet, nonetheless, a hunger and fullness diet. Because as an athlete, this is not going to help you with your performance. And I'm going to, I'm going to really bite my tongue because I want to go down the rabbit hole, but I'm going to revisit that after guys. So listening for the body signals that tell you you are getting full. So slowing down, like what are those feelings that you're getting? Are you getting some light pressure in your stomach? Are you getting to the point of fullness? Have you reached satisfaction at all? Those are all things to look at and observe. And again, we don't want to be judgmental. 
We don't want to be like, oh, I overate. We don't want to create judgment around it. We just want to observe how we're feeling and use that information to take into that next meal. You're not going to eat the same amount of food in every single sitting. You might eat more than your partner eats. That's okay. That is okay. Take a pause in the middle of eating. See how you feel. Be mindful of the eating. Does the food taste good? What textures do you like? And where's your level of hunger? Number seven, coping with your emotions with kindness. So I talked a little bit about these in the in, in a couple of the other ones, or at least some notes of this, but when we talk about the emotions that we have, it's just like I was telling you with the client in, in the fullness or the last principle is being able to identify something that you're feeling, but not necessarily assign meaning to it. That's important because when food restriction in general can really bring on a loss of control around food, it can lead to some emotional eating. It can feel like emotionally eating, I should say. But in fact, if we are under fueling, if we are under eating, our bodies are going to do whatever it can to try to encourage you to give you a sign that we need to eat more food. So it's not uncommon that when we are eating, we might have emotions that come up with eating, which is why there's a lot of overlap. You know, if you've ever been to therapy, there's some overlap, at least a therapy around um, eating, you know, your relationship with food, eating disorder, disordered eating. There's some overlap of nutrition. And in my conversations with clients, yeah, there's going to be some overlap of the, these feelings around food. This is exactly why I have clients know how they're feeling with food. Are you feeling anxious? Are we feeling bored? Are we feeling upset? All of these things can dictate um, how we choose to eat. For some people, this might mean they cope with food by eating a little more. This might be they restrict food. Each and every person is going to have a different response to food and food isn't going to fix a feeling and it's not going to fix the symptoms that come with underfueling. It may feel comforting. It may feel good initially to do those things, but in the end, it's not going to solve the problem. When we talk about food, especially, you know, from the lens of emotional eating, I want to be very clear in saying that emotional eating is not a bad thing. It is a tool which can be useful temporarily, but if we are reusing that one tool over and over and over, it's probably not going to be helpful. It's just like if you were to use exercise as your one tool for stress management, and maybe you do and maybe you have in the past, if that is your only tool you're using, and let's say, oh my gosh, you get injured or you get sick and you can't exercise, how has that made you feel? Or how do you think it'd make you feel? It wouldn't make you feel good. It would probably make you feel a lot more anxious, a lot more frustrated because you can't do that one thing that you have created your um, stress management or anxiety management around. So we need to make sure that we are building a toolkit, a stress toolkit, if you will, or emotional toolkit to help you cope when these things are coming up. So that's worth, worth exploring. You know, we want to have a couple things because there are going to be certain situations. For example, if you're injured and you can't exercise, you're not going to be able to exercise, or at least you shouldn't be. Um, but would you have access to grab a coloring book and color? Maybe that makes you feel good. Would you be able to phone a friend? 
So we have to think about number one, emotional eating isn't a bad thing, but then also what are other things that I can use so I don't just rely on one tool. Number eight, respecting your body. So this is a loaded one and this is tough. This is tough, especially in that world, that diet mentality, that diet cultural world where we think that there is only a certain body size we must be to be good, to be loved, to be appreciated, to perform their best. All of us are so different though. We all have different genetics. I'm sure you guys have heard this before. You can exercise and you could eat the same way as your teammate, your friend, even me, and you are going to look different. We are all going to look different no matter what we do. And that may be frustrating to hear and you may be rolling your eyes. I, I know it's, it's, it can be annoying to hear, but what would happen if you could just respect your body and not be at war with your body? A lot, you would be able to dedicate a lot more brain space and just fun and enjoyment in life if you weren't constantly thinking about your body. But in the same breath, we have to respect our body. And when I talk with body image about with clients and, and to people, body image exists on a spectrum. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because this could be a whole nother episode. But when we talk about body image, it exists on a spectrum, meaning that our body image, the way that we feel and see our body can change within minutes. It can change week to week. It can change because something said, someone said to us. It could change based on how we feel after we eat a meal. It can change so easily. So we have to remember that body image is a spectrum. It's going to change day to day. But if we have unrealistic expectations or we, high, we are highly critical of our body, our body image is never going to reach this respect or even neutrality with our body. We all deserve respect for our body. And it's going to be really hard to even reject the diet mentality if, again, there's unrealistic expectation of your body to look or be a certain way. So respecting your body, very important to help kind of pair with the rest of these principles. When we talk about movement and exercise and feeling the difference with movement and exercise, which is number nine, the intuitive eating principle. This one can be a little difficult to navigate, especially as athletes or active people. If you have gotten into training or, you know, exercise, you know, some type of athlete active movement just for the benefits of burning calories when you're exercising, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. And I know a lot of people start there. This was a way for me to lose weight but now I'm realizing that I really enjoy it and I really want to stay here. Or I've actually had people say that they hate exercise. And once we start to explore the reason of why they hate exercise, it was because exercise was the sole reason they, the, the only reason that they started exercising was with the intent and purpose of losing weight or burning calories. So those are two very different things. Exercise as we know, is so beneficial for us, so beneficial. Yes, it can help us have a more even-killed move. It can be a uh, mood, not move, <laughs> a, a better mood, right? It can help us feel uh, 
just better. It's a mood boost. It also can have heart healthy benefits, regulate our blood pressure, help with gut motility, overall gut health. Uh, so many things, right? Like I could keep going here, but there are so many beneficial things about exercise. But when is exercise not beneficial? Number one, when we are using it as a sole purpose of burning calories and nothing else, because eventually, because you didn't or aren't in something exercising or movement for other joys, it's just for calorie burning, it's always going to feel like a form of punishment. And number two, it's not great when we are over exercising. And this is again, a thought I'm adding here, I'm just adding on to the principle, because I want to talk about this through an athlete, active person lens. And I think that this is something that we should come back to at the end. But if we're focusing on how we feel when we're working out, we can make a lot more smart decisions. If you know that you want the benefits of exercise for all the benefits they have from exercise, then choosing the activity you enjoy is very beneficial. So if you hate exercise and you start running, how long do you think you're going to keep running for? You're going to hate it. But if you, for example, really enjoy walking and that's a stress reliever and that's an extra benefit that you give with it, go off. That's amazing. That's, you're going to get so much benefit from that. On the other hand, if we are over-exercising, if we are overdoing it to manage some type of emotion or to manage or try to manage our weight, that's going to be another problem. Over-exercising has so many, not even just a meant from a mental health standpoint, but over-exercising can just wreak havoc on our bodies. And I'm sure at some point we're going to do a whole episode on it, but RADS or relative energy deficiency um, syndrome is a real thing. <laughs> and over-exercising generally plays a big role in this. Um, when we are exercising too much, we are causing low energy availability. And when we have low energy availability, our body is down-regulating a lot of the processes that are important to help us function. So more exercise is not better. So when we're thinking about the movement piece, like I said, we have to think about what makes me feel good and then what are, what are the limits? What are my boundaries around exercise um, if I need them? If I have a healthy relationship with exercise and a healthy relationship with exercise would, meet, would be something like, if I'm not feeling well, I can take the day off. If I'm tired or I didn't eat adequately yesterday, I can take a day off. Um, not feeling like we have to exercise, that if we miss that one training session, that our world is going to be over and we're not gonna be able to navigate the day. If that is how you're feeling, we have to go back to body respect and we have to go back to a lot of these other theories, but we need to cope again, even coping with your emotions with kindness. I know that one talked a little bit more about how we feel around food, but it's the same concept with exercise. Are we setting our bodies up to feel supported and respected? Arriving at last one, number 10, honoring your health, gentle nutrition. Now I know I said this whole framework actually has a lot of benefits uh, in terms of gentle nutrition. This whole concept does. And I think, I really think a lot of people have trouble with intuitive eating because it's not hard, fast rules of eat, you know, five vegetables a day and uh, 26.5 grams of sugar. No, it's not that. These are principles and it, it can be really hard to live in the gray area for people. But when we talk about number 10, this is making food choices that honor your health 
and your taste buds, meaning satisfaction while making you feel good. We don't have to have this 100% perfect plate. I've talked about performance plates and uh, I think it was, was it episode three? Yes, episode three, I talked about performance plates. This was, it was never a suggestion that we should be having an exact perfect performance plate all the time. It's what you do most of the time that matters and supports your health, right? We don't have to be, we don't have to eat perfect to be healthy. We don't have to follow our training plan to AT to, to, to improve our performance. We have to think about our health. We have to honor our health and we have to practice gentle nutrition and gentle exercise to support that. Evelyn goes on here in her guidelines to say, you will not suddenly get a nutrition deficiency or become unhealthy from one snack, one meal, or one day of eating. And actually she said the same thing that I just said. That's not, it's what you eat consistently over time that matters 100%. And I think that idea of consistency really throws people off because when I say consistency, you might be hearing all of the time. Nope, not it. Not what I'm saying. Consistency is if you were to look at 30 days over the past month, did you, I'm going to throw a number out there. Did you uh, create performance plates and eat adequately and follow your training plan 85% of the time? If you did, that's awesome. You're consistent. Over the past six months to a year, have you been doing the supportive nutrition behaviors? If you've been doing it most months, and yet maybe there were a couple months that you were down and out because of illness, injury, or you just weren't feeling it, that's still consistent. You're still progressing. So I want you guys to really try to get out of this idea of, you know, rigid and black and white thinking. I have been there before. I totally get it. I totally get it. Thank you therapy for helping me with that. But we have to stop with the rigidity around nutrition because it's not going to help you move the needle. It's not going to help you with this health focus that you have. Progress, not perfection. Okay. So let me go back over that really captures the, the, the 10 principles. Okay. But I want to go back over and really kind of, uh, tweak some things or talk about some things, give my thoughts on some things that I really want to talk about as an athlete and where we need to be careful. So number two, that honoring your hunger, this one specifically for active people and athletes. If we are just deciding I'm going to eat when I'm hungry, I'm going to, not going to lie to you guys, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. You're probably under fueling. <laughs> I see it all of the time, all of the time. I see people um, waiting until they're hungry after their training sessions to eat, or I see them waiting till the morning until they're hungry to eat, or even on runs. I see people waiting till they're hungry to actually fuel. And sometimes that never happens. So they don't fuel. All of those situations plus so many more situations means that you are going to be under fueling. 100%. You're missing opportunities when you are skipping these times or delaying your eating times. You're missing opportunities. With your with the level of exercise that you you have, the level of activity you have, your calorie needs are higher, your energy needs are higher. So if we're skipping these times or pushing off meal times, almost a certain almost positive you are under fueling. It's hard to make up, make that up later in the day. So we have to keep that in mind. The other thing is, especially if we kind of talk about post exercise, when we're exercising, especially in hot or humid conditions, or potentially we have like a really long run or a high intensity training day, 
you may not feel hungry after training. It could be related a little bit to dehydration from that run. It could also be related just to exertion. And there are hormonal changes that happen when we're exercising that could lead to you not feeling hungry afterwards. So again, we can identify, oh, I don't feel too hungry right now. But what I don't want you guys to do is say, I'm not hungry right now, so I'm going to wait to eat. Nope. We're going to be more gentle. We're going to have practice gentle nutrition, but we're still going to eat. We're going to bypass that whole honoring your hunger piece. So what does that mean? What does gentle nutrition look like after a training session? This would be something like, hmm, I notice I'm not hungry right now, but I also notice again, that reframe. I also know, I know that I need to support my body with recovery after training. So I am going to maybe make a smoothie. A smoothie is it's liquids, right? Liquid calories, liquid nutrients. This is probably going to be a lot easier for me to tolerate instead of chewing some food right now. So a smoothie sounds great. I'm going to use my performance plate to balance out that smoothie with all the ingredients. I'm also going to get in some electrolytes and fluids because that's that recovery, that three R's rehydrate, refuel, repair. And then I'm going to follow up with a meal in an hour or two when I'm feeling hungry later. Maybe you eat smaller snacks throughout the rest of the day. But we also have to understand that that next day, you might feel hungry. And that is the time to be honoring your hunger. You might be more hungry than you normally are. So that means I'm going to listen to that hunger because I have made peace with food. I am rejecting the diet mentality. I am going to eat because I am hungry. I had a hard training day yesterday. I under ate yesterday. So I'm going to support my body today. So we have to remember there is science behind that, right? That change in hormones, that blunting of the appetite, but we can still support our bodies. It's just in a more gentle way. The other thing I wanted to point out too, in terms of, um, that athlete life is, um, that movement, feeling the difference. And the point I want to point out here is especially for maybe high school or collegiate athletes that might be coming off of a college or high school, college or high school career. I usually see this more. So I, I, I do see it in both. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge one way or the other, but when we are coming off playing team sports, or maybe we decided to potentially like even retire from uh, triathlete or running or weightlifting, whatever it is, sometimes we feel, we feel like what we're doing isn't enough. And really what that means is we just have to find a different way of exercising that we actually enjoy. Just because you're not part of a team or you're not doing that sport or activity that you really loved for whatever reason it might be, it doesn't mean that you can't find enjoyment in some other form of exercise, as long as it is safe for you to do so and it aligns with your health goals. So maybe that's like getting some time to kind of explore different forms of movement. When I was talking with a client the other day, she had said to me, like, I really crave, I, I really miss that atmosphere of being on a team and playing sports. Like, I really miss it. And I want to bring that in to my life. And she was entering into college and she actually stumbled across intramural sport. And this gave her, this is giving her two opportunities. Number one, it's giving her an opportunity to play a sport so that she can fulfill that need and, and craving for, you know, wanting to have some movement. It helps her feel more energized. It helps with her gut. It helps with, um, her just coping with emotions and in a mood left, 
but also it's helping her join something that's not going to be as much of a stressor or a time commitment, which when we are playing sports that maybe are more involved, right? Especially for going into like a collegiate sport, there might be two a days. There might be just a lot more that's required on your schedule that we have to do. Or even if you're a triathlete training and you're in season, that <laughs> that's a lot of volume, right? You might be training anywhere from, you know, 10 upwards of 14 hours when you're training. And that's a lot of extra time that you'll have back, but maybe that is what you want. Maybe that, that balance is what you want. It's just finding something that suits you, that still gives you some benefit towards your health goals, but looks a little bit different and is supportive. This last one here, honoring your health with gentle nutrition and just even honoring your health in general. As I said, in one of the first few episodes, you are human first and you are athlete second. So if you are transitioning or I mean, yes, if you're transitioning to not being on a team sport or maybe out of your current sport, or maybe even you're injured or you have an illness and it's kind of forced you to put a pause on your sports right now, it's still important to honor your health. A lot of times what I'll see is when these things come up, we just say to ourselves, well, I'm not really active anymore, so I don't really need to eat to support that piece of things anymore. While you might not need to eat to support that level of activity anymore, you still need to eat to support your body. And all those like basic things that um, we don't even realize that are going on on a regular basis. Well, I mean, maybe we realize, but we don't really give enough respect to the fact that our body does so much for us on a, on a regular basis, right? The brain function, pumping blood, breathing, digestion, all of these things that our body does for us require food and energy to do so. So finding that level of, of body respect and still honoring your health to be able to feed yourself to support all those functions to happen because they're happening regardless of you exercising or not. So still eating to support that is very, very important. So to go back and ask that original question, intuitive eating, is it right for athletes and active people? It absolutely can have a place, but we have to remember, we don't want to follow this as a diet rule or rigid rules and understand that as athletes, our needs are different. We can't always rely on just physical hunger, right? And a lot of people can, but as athletes, we especially can't. We also have to understand that when we're talking about intuitive eating, it can't be, we can't go into this and ignore all of the sports nutrition pieces of things, the recommendation. So eating before and after our trainings, it has to happen regardless of whether we're hungry or not, hungry or not right? We may have to make special circumstances depending on if we're hungry or full, but we still need to eat before and after. We can't lose sight of sports nutrition recommendations and those recommendations of what we need as a basic human. We need both of those pieces. So there has to be education and understanding around how to feed ourselves as a human, but also sports nutrition strategies to support ourselves too. So it can be used, but as with anything, there's a lot of nuance to it and we have to take and put together a plan that supports us. I don't want you to think about this one as a diet. I hate, I hate diets and maybe just reframing to kind of say that a diet is just, you know, a way that you're, you're eating day to day and not necessarily restrictive that might help you, but we don't have to have a label 
We don't have to have a label on something to describe how we're eating. We can take different principles into account. Uh, we can feel different ways about different things and we can still choose to support our body. So I think that these principles can be useful, but I just don't want anyone to use these as a rule of thumb because especially for us active people and athletes, this can dig us into a bit of a hole when it comes to how we fuel our bodies. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, we actually, I don't, I haven't mentioned this before, but we have a membership. <laughs> we have a membership and it's a monthly membership. It's called the fuel for more society. And the fuel for more society is, was, oh gosh, I think we started the membership last year, but it is one of my favorite, one of my favorite spaces to be in the services we offer because the society is our little community that we have. And we're able to talk about a lot of the nuance of nutrition, not to plug the name of the podcast, but we talk about the nuances of nutrition, but there's also a space for everybody to ask their questions on a regular basis uh, and get, you know, expert opinion on that. But my other favorite part is our monthly team calls that we have. And actually it changed just recently. Our monthly team calls used to be a lot of education, just a lot of like teaching on certain topics, but I changed that up a little bit. I change that up so that now it changes month to month. Sometimes we'll be teaching on specific topics and then sometimes there'll be a guest speaker that comes in based on whatever the group has identified that they need some help around. And then other months are live coaching calls where you can come in, ask a question and be coached live on a topic. So the other cool thing is, is when you join, you get access to all of our previous classes, but we also post recipes once a month. So you'll have access to all current and past recipes. So if that is something you're interested in, we'd love to have you. I will uh, post the link to that in the show notes as well. I hope you all have an amazing day and we'll chat soon. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of the Nuanced Nutrition Pod. If you've been enjoying the episode so far, I would love if you could give me a shout out by writing review for the podcast or rating it. If you ever have suggestions of topics that you want covered, you're always welcome to email me at nr at with your suggestions. Thanks. <laughs>